The following is a presentation of Amarillo Fellowship, a community dedicated to spreading the love and hope of Christ. For more information and other podcasts, visit AmarilloFellowship.com. Amen. You may be seated today. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 13. We've been in a series, I Love My Church. How many of you love your church today by a show of hands today? Listen, we've, we've got bracelets. I think we still have some bracelets. It's a great conversation piece. Um, there was a, a story that we were told a couple of weeks ago about a young girl went up to pay for something at the counter, and I think I'm telling the story right, forgot her checkbook or forgot her money. Is that correct? Didn't have her money with her, and all of a sudden she's looking around kind of nervous, and the person behind says, hey, I'll just take care of that. We, we stand up for one another. She's like, what? She goes, yeah, us church people, we stick together. And she couldn't figure it out for just a moment. And then she realized it was because she had her I love my church bracelet on. Now, I'm not saying if you wear this, you can go in there without money and get food and get free things, okay? I am saying, though, we love our church. We love, we love one another. So we've been in this series and we've been looking at that love is a response. It, it, it's a reflex. It's the natural behavior that takes place in the life of a child of God as they begin to understand the love of God for them. See, one of the things that we can begin to understand about our lives is everything that I am doing that's happening on the outside of me, things that I'm saying, ways that I'm acting are just a response of what is actually happening on the inside of me. So when I'm fearful, when I'm doubting, when I'm full of unbelief, I can recognize that on the inside I'm fearful, I'm doubting, and I'm full of unbelief. It's a response. When we become so consumed with the love of God, instead of responding to the wrong behaviors of the world, we can begin to respond in love. That doesn't mean it happens overnight, and it doesn't mean that you'll always do it right. But when we don't, when we don't respond right, we go back to meditating on and focusing on the goodness and the love of God. Because the more I'm beholding the goodness and the love of God, the more, rea- the more the reality of the goodness and the love of God begins to fill my heart and life and begins to change things on the outside of me. So the way that we love the church helps us understand this principle. The way you view that God treats you and views you is the way that you're going to view and treat other people. It's a great principle. Listen, are you ready for this today? John chapter 13 says this. Jesus is talking and he says this. A new commandment I give to you. Now notice that he says new. In other words, it's not going to be the same as the old. See, some people think that Jesus is just kind of rehashing the old commandment. Something that was said before. They think he's just restating the law. That the law is to love their neighbor as yourself. But he's not. He's saying a new commandment. Look at this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. So notice what the new commandment was. It's not that you love, because the old commandment says that you shall love your neighbor as yourself, but the new commandment, which shows us how to operate in the new covenant, is that we love one another as Christ has loved us. In other words, if you don't understand how much Jesus loves you, you won't understand how to love others. Let me say that again. If you don't understand how much Jesus loves you, you won't understand how to love others. 
So our love for one another shouldn't flow out of our feelings and emotions. We shouldn't love people when we feel like it. I said we shouldn't love people just when we feel like it. We shouldn't love people just when we're having a good day. How many of you know that you're in charge of you? Your feelings and emotions could not and should not be in charge of you. You're in charge of you. So we don't love others just when we feel like it. Or we find that we find ourselves in at the moment. We love for one another doesn't come from disciplining ourselves through willpower. I know that we've thought that from time to time. Okay, I'm just going to choose to love them. They're so unlovable, but I'm going to love them anyway. Right? It doesn't come through willpower. The principle is we must first understand God's love for us because that is what empowers us to love others. So what's the takeaway? When I'm being unloving, what does it mean? It means I don't recognize and understand God's love for me. Let's move on. Romans chapter 15. Accept one another then just as Christ has accepted you in order to bring praise to God. See, in this verse, that we are, to, we are saying that we are to accept one another. Some versions say that we are to receive one another, but we are to accept one another just as Christ has accepted us. So we see it again. If you don't understand that you are accepted by Christ, you'll struggle with accepting others. Because we are supposed to accept one another. How? By the way our parents accepted us? By the way our friends accepted us? By the way society accepts us? No, by the way that Christ has accepted us. In other words, Jesus Christ wants you to discover just how accepted we are by God. God wants you to know how accepted you are. In the midst of your worst failure, you're accepted by God. In the worst of your bad habits that you can't seem to win the battle over, you're accepted by God. And then we are to extend that acceptance to other people. Because see, if we're not careful, we will just accept people that look like us, talk like us, and act like us. We don't, we don't accept people just because they're just like us, because they do all the right things, because of some socioeconomic connection, or because of some age connection. Jesus doesn't want us accepting one another based on these things. He wants us accepting one another how? Just as Christ accepted us, unconditional acceptance. People that don't look as good as us, right? There's a few people out there. For some of us, it's a few less people than other people. But he, for people that maybe are not in the same social economic group as us, he wants us accepting other people. This is the way that we make the world a better world. This is the way we can impact people by changing our society that we come in contact with every day with real, genuine, authentic love. It's easy to run downhill though, isn't it? It's easy to get caught in other people's mindset. Somebody's mean to us, we want to be mean back. Someone cuts us off, we want to cut them off. You know it always goes back to driving, right? So we see in these verses that we are to love one another, how? The way that Christ has loved us. We are to accept one another. How? The way that Christ has accepted us. Here's the key. Do you know how loved and accepted you are by Christ? I mean, do you really know how loved and accepted you are by Christ? 
Let's look at one more verse, Ephesians 4. And be kind to one another. There's some verses that should not have been in the Bible for all occasions. But be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So we are to be kind to one another. Now, is that optional? Is that optional? Right. We are to be kind. We are to be tenderhearted. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm really tenderhearted. Now, some of you, because you might be a bit hard-hearted, were afraid to turn to somebody and say you're tenderhearted in church. But God wants us to be tenderhearted. Listen, we live in a world that hard-hearted people kind of rule the world. You can walk around all day long acting angry and mad on your face and people are totally fine with that. You walk around with a big old smile on your face and people think that you are nuts. They think that you are weird. God called us to be tenderhearted. We want, we've got this tough guy image in our society that we want to be. Yeah, I'm a hard-hearted guy. God doesn't want you to be hard-hearted. He wants you to be tenderhearted, to get your feelings hurt every once in a while. Right when somebody, you know, hurts you and says something mean to you, he wants you to feel that. He doesn't want you to be desensitized by things going on in our world. So the Bible says that we're be kind to one another, tenderhearted. We are to forgive even as Christ has forgiven you. Do you see that we're to forgive even as Christ forgave you? Now, is that a past tense, present tense, or future tense? Yes, but it was in the past tense. Notice that he forgave. You guys are way ahead of me. Y'all saw my notes, didn't you? Are they up on the screen? Okay. All right. Notice that he forgave past tense. So the application of forgiveness is past tense, present tense, future tense. That means what you did two years ago, what you did right now as I'm preaching those bad thoughts that you have towards me or somebody you're sitting next to, or the things that you might possibly do wrong tomorrow, all of them are completely forgiven. It is a waterfall of forgiveness. Forgiveness for you is continual. I'm telling you, some of you, that will set you free. If you begin to understand that you are totally forgiven by God. So we want to forgive as Christ has forgiven us. See, and a lot of times we don't understand the power of unforgiveness. You know why I think we don't is because we don't really think that we're unforgiving. A lot of times we have a lot more unforgiveness towards people than we recognize. How can you tell if you've got unforgiveness towards somebody? If you think about that person, does something stand up inside of you kind of going, oh. Are you walking down the hall and you see that person coming and suddenly you need to get a drink at the water fountain or you need to dodge, dodge into some office or some area? You want to avoid them? Come on, I know I'm preaching to you today. We don't recognize a lot of times how much unforgiveness we actually have. Now listen, it happens all the time to all of us. Something happens and we think we've forgiven them, but really we're just an angst against them still we're just, uh, towards them. In those moments when we recognize, look, man, do I really love them unconditionally? I need to be forgiving them. Because unforgiveness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. It damages you. It damages relationships. It, it damages your health. It, it damages you so much that you keep living in the past instead of being able to live in the present. The past isn't the past if you keep dragging it into the present. I know that we've all had some bad things happen to us, but we need to learn how to forgive. How? As Christ has forgiven us. 
unforgiveness can and will do all those negative things to you. See, but here's an area where people have some misunderstandings about unforgiveness. And we get held captive by this issue of unforgiveness because Jesus was teaching in Matthew 6 and he said this. That it, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, we look at this verse and we believe that we are only forgiven if we have completely forgiven everyone else, right? That's, that's the way some of us were taught. But we need to remember that when Jesus made this statement, they were still operating in the old covenant. Jesus had not yet died. Therefore, the new covenant was not yet in force. In fact, you won't see this teaching anywhere in the New Testament following the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That was something that Jesus taught in the Gospels as he was transitioning from the old covenant to the new covenant. And he was teaching these things to help us to understand the purity of the law. That none of us could ever be good enough to fully obey the law. Not one of us. None of us could do enough of the right things to be justified by our obedience. In fact, he began to teach them what adultery really was. They thought it was just about the act of committing adultery, but Jesus said it's when it begins in your mind, in your thoughts. He talked about the issue of murder, that murder just wasn't the act of actually committing murder. It's when you had that murderous attitude and heart or thoughts in your heart. So before the cross, you have to forgive in order to be forgiven. But after the cross, you forgive because you are forgiven. Forgiveness is a completed work. If I have to forgive everyone before God can forgive me, I'm back into works. I'm back into performance. And I've tried living like that, and I'm telling you, it just doesn't work. In fact, the harder I tried to remember everyone that I needed to forgive so I could be forgiving, the more unforgiving I actually became. Because my focus of trying to remember everyone that I needed to forgive only reminded me of the offense that they had against me in the first place. So if I have to forgive in order to be forgiven, I'm back under works again. It creates sin consciousness rather than righteousness conscious. See, the Holy Spirit came before you were a follower of Jesus Christ to convict you of sin. But once you became a follower of Jesus Christ, what the Holy Spirit does now is he convicts you of righteousness. When you do wrong, he says, hey, that's not who you are. You're a mighty man or a mighty woman of God. Hey, that's not who you are. That's what you just did. Here's who you are. You're a follower of Jesus Christ. You're a child of the Most High God. Look at this verse in Colossians 2, talking about forgiveness. Having forgiven you all trespasses we are forgiven of all of our sins look at the power of this in revelations 1 to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood do you think that the shed blood of jesus christ is powerful enough to wash you completely or do you think your sin is more powerful it's his blood see do you think that god left some speck of sin on us or do you think that his work is a finished work finished work thank you three of you Anybody else? Finished work, finished work, right? It's a finished work. Do you see, do you think that God sees sin on us today? Now listen, I know that we still sin. 
I know that we still miss the mark, but God doesn't see sin on us today. And the reason why God doesn't see sin on us is because he sees Christ on us. That we are hidden in Christ Jesus. That his blood covers over us today. Pastor Richie, people are going to want to sin after they hear that. No, they're not. Once you really know how good our God is, you want to stay hidden under the blood of Jesus Christ. You want to operate under the blood of Jesus Christ. So what I want you to notice this morning is that you love other people, the church, only to the extent that you understand how much Jesus loves you. If you think that God likes you when you do good and God hammers you when you do bad, guess how you'll treat others? You'll love them when they do good and you'll hammer them when they do bad. See, this is why sometimes Christianity breeds some pretty mean people. When Christianity is all about God's love, the reason is is they think God is mean towards them. They think God has held up a standard that they can never get to. If we're going by the old covenant, you can, by your performance, never get to that standard. But when you're in Christ Jesus, we're in the one who is able to reach that standard. They think God's mean to them, but he's not. He loved us even when we were sinners, even when we were downright dirty, rotten scoundrels. Some of you know who you were. (laughs) Amen, right? Amen. We all kind of laugh and then we think, oh yeah, that was me. So what happened first? You saw Jesus and then came to him or did Jesus see you first? See, we say things like, I found Jesus. Actually, he found you. We were the one that was lost. He has never been lost. We were lost sheep, and if it hadn't been for his mercy in finding you, whether in a church service like this or through the relationship of some friend, your eyes would have never been opened. It was God that opened your eyes. If God hadn't opened up your eyes, you wouldn't have ever seen him in the first place. God saw you and your need for him long before you ever knew him or saw your need for him. God loved you even before you gave your life to him, and we are to love one another, the church. The way that God has loved us. How do we do that? By becoming consumed with the love of God. By being focused upon the love of God. Listen, your relationship with God is not something you unpack on Sunday morning as you get ready for church. And then you walk into church with the relationship with God. And then you go home and you put it back in the closet and you don't think about it the rest of the week. The love of God is something that you need to be consumed with all the time. You need to get up in the morning and say, hey, look at this. This is the disciple whom Jesus loves. Look at this. This is one whom Jesus loves unconditionally. The midst of your failure, you need to get back up and say, God, thank you for loving me perfectly. Thank you, God, that I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We have to love one another the way that God has loved us, and that only happens when we become consumed with the love of God. We need to accept one another the way that God has accepted us, and that only happens when we realize that we're accepted by God. We need to forgive one another the way that God has forgiven us. That only happens when we understand how forgiven we are by God. See, it's foundational to understand that we are loved and accepted and forgiven. We have to understand that because if we don't understand that, we will go through all the rituals and form this, trying to do all the right things because we're trying to get God to love us, trying to get him to accept us, or trying to get him to forgive us. But once you understand that you're loved and accepted and forgiven, it gives you peace in your heart. It gives you peace in your conscience and you'll relax about who you are in Christ Jesus. 
There will not be striving. Your only striving is to enter into his rest. In fact, the moment you get anxious or you get fearful or whatever, you're striving to get back into, God, thank you that you're so good. Thank you that I don't understand what's happening at work, but you do. God, thank you, Father, for what's going on because I don't understand what's happening in my family, but you do. We learn how to rest in him. Listen, when that happens, you'll stop striving to become something that you already are. And, and, you'll also stop striving with others, trying to get them to become something that they already are. See, it's interesting in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter. I love saying that, the love chapter. It tells us that we can speak in the tongues of men and angels, but it goes on to say that if we don't have love, we're like a sounding gong or a clanging cymbal. See, that's why when sometimes our heart really is to help people, but we're so unloving in the way that we're doing it, as we're talking to them, it sounds like, We think it's, oh, brother, I love you, and oh, it's the most wonderful thing in the world. But it sounds like, It says that we can have the gift of faith to move mountains and the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries. And we have a tendency to think that those are the main things of Christianity. But Jesus says it's all about love. It's love that produces acceptance. It's love that produces forgiveness. See, that's why we should give attention to our responses. When things come out of us, we say things, we do things, our actions, we need to give attention to our responses, those things that are flowing out of our lives, our actions and our behaviors. Pastor Richie, doesn't that mean, isn't that legalism? Listen, do you know what makes something legalistic or non-legalistic? The motive. If you're here today because of God's love for you and you want to hear about who God is and all that God's made available for you. You know what? That thing causes you to want to serve other people. That's the right motive for being here. But if you come to church today so that God will love you more or so that God will accept you or for, so that he'll forgive you for what you did this past week or you feel guilty if you miss, that's the wrong reason for being here. That's legalistic. Pastor Richie, you can't say that. People won't come to church. Well, that's possible. But you shouldn't attend church just for legalistic reasons. Because those are the people in church that have such sour attitudes. They're they're the people that are so unhappy, they make Christianity yucky. They do. They they walk around and they're, they're so burdened by these responsibilities and things they think they have to do to make God love them. And so they're walking around in society and they're just such sour pusses. I mean, honestly. They, they look horrible, and they're like, you know, do you want what I've got? <laughs> yeah, no thanks. I think I'm going to pass on that, right? The gospel is the good news. Amen? So, man, look, if you just think, oh, I just got to go because God's good. Man, don't come. Listen, sometimes we got to discipline ourselves. I'm the pastor, and sometimes I got to make myself come to church, too. But we got we to gotta recognize why we're coming. We're coming because I want to hear about God. I want to get to know you guys more so that I can pour into your life, so you can pour into my life, so we can become disciples and not just followers of Jesus Christ. So we can become disciples that are more than conquerors like God's called us to be, rather than just barely getting by in our relationship with God. See, it's the same with any spiritual discipline like praying or reading the Word of God. We do those things to connect with and understand the heart of God. 
you're doing it because you think God will love and accept and forgive you, those spiritual disciplines will become a burden to you. We read our Bibles because we know that God loves us, that he's for us. And in his word, he tells us who we are in Christ Jesus. And in his word, it explains to us how to live the abundant life that he has already prepared and provided for us. That's why we attend church, so that we can learn more about the goodness of our Father, so that we can learn or at least be reminded about the love of God. We need to be reminded all the time about the things of God because in all of our lives, our course gets off from time to time. When we begin to understand who we are in Christ and who, when we begin to understand who we are in Christ, who we are in Christ will stand up and love others unconditionally. Let me say that again because I didn't say it well the first time. When we begin to understand who we are in Christ, who we are in Christ will begin to stand up and love others unconditionally. And it will begin with us, but it will spread and touch everyone that we come in contact with. And they will know that they are loved, that they are accepted, and that they are forgiven. That's why we made a decision as a church that we are a community that is dedicated to spreading the love and hope of Jesus Christ. We're not a community that's dedicated to spreading the rules and regulations of Jesus Christ. We're dedicated to spreading the love and hope of Jesus Christ. And the loving church can create a love revolution. Listen, many people have given up on our society. I say we don't give up until we're gone from this world. And then we're not giving up, we're just not here anymore. We, when the church becomes consumed with love, we'll create a love revolution that will impact positively every person that we come in contact with. And it will cause you and I to continually say, I love the church. I love my church. Will you believe that and receive that with me today? I want to pray over you today. And God... This has been a presentation of Amarillo Fellowship, a community dedicated to spreading the love and hope of Christ. For more information and other podcasts, visit amarillofellowship.com.